2 Timothy chapter 2. Last week we talked about endurance, and this week we will talk about um, the profane, or the, the pure, the good, and, and the bad. And he's talking about false teachers. So um, on the next slide there I have for you, uh, basically verse 3 through 6 of chapter 2, we talked about endurance being needed in the Christian life. Now Paul's writing to Timothy as a young pastor, and Paul, remember with me that Paul is actually on death row. He's, being, he's getting ready to be put to death for essentially proclaiming the gospel there in Rome. And at the time, it wasn't a, a popular thing to proclaim the gospel. Remember, uh, several weeks back when I gave the introduction to this book, um, at the time, Caesar Nero has uh, wanted to expand his palace. And so in order to do that, he burned some buildings down. And when he burned the buildings down, it, it got a little out of hand. It burned more of the city than he planned on. I don't know how much was okay for him, but apparently he had something in mind, and so it looked bad for him politically, so what did he do? He picked out the group that nobody liked. He said, hey, uh, Paul and his Christian people, they burned the city. And so persecution becomes incredible, and because of that, um, there, it's not easy to be a Christian in Rome. And so Paul talks to Timothy about endurance, and he gave several specific examples of what we are to endure like as Christians, but for Timothy as a pastor. So this isn't just for pastors. This is really for any Christian. He says you need to have endurance to endure like a soldier. He said a soldier's experience hardship, even when they're not deployed because they know they will be deployed. They're going to miss out on family time. They're going to have to give up for the cause, if you will. And they also get moved all over the place. But he said no soldier that's enlisted entangles himself in the affairs of this life, so that he can please the, the, his high commanding officer, the man who enlisted him. So in order to be good soldiers of the faith, there are some things that we just don't, aren't called to entangle ourselves with. We, we are free, but we're also free to give them up so that we can live the way that God's called us to. He says, endure like an award-winning athlete. Not just an athlete, but a successful athlete. And what he talked about is no... Nobody uh, goes out to be an athlete, breaks all the rules, and then gets to get the prize, right? If they cheat, they get their prize taken from them. He said, uh, endure like a hardworking farmer. And in the farmer's case, he doesn't talk about the endurance so much as he talks about the results of being a hardworking farmer. If you are a hardworking farmer, there will be fruit from it, and guess what? You get to be the first partaker of that fruit. It becomes your livelihood. And so as Christians, we need to know that when we are giving up some things in order to work hard as believers, um, we're doing it, and there will be fruit that comes from it. And many times, he who sows will also get to reap the benefit from the sowing and the reaping and the planting and the harvesting. So he says, endure for two reasons. For the sake of the truth, because the truth needs to be spread, just like seed on the ground. He says also endure for the sake of the whosoever may come. Jesus said whosoever may come, whosoever will may come. He's not just saying whoever might come, whoever will come eventually. He's saying whoever has the will to receive the gospel and believe it. Paul said I endure for the sake of the elect. And that's just a fancy term for the ones that God has chosen. How do we know who's God, who God has chosen? Whoever responds to the gospel, whoever receives it. 
So Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of those that will believe. Whether it's many or whether it's few, I don't care. He says, I will endure all things, not because in and of myself I have the ability or the strength to do so, because it's what God's called me to do. And even when I'm down, he actually will empower me to continue on in faith. And so in verse 14 of chapter 2 is where we're going to continue this week. He says this in verse 14. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words for no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he says, young Timothy, as a pastor, your job is to remind them of these things. So what are the, these things he's talking about? Well, since we're breaking this section of, of Scripture up, remember this is a letter. Yeah, Timothy's going to sit down and he's going to read the whole thing. He's not going to read 10 verses at a time like we've been studying. So we have to kind of, for the sake of remembering ourselves, go back to what he just wrote before that. Now, Paul wrote this in verse 11. He says, this is a faithful saying. And in many cases, in 1 Timothy and in Titus, he writes to these young ministers and he says, this is a faithful saying. And what he's saying is, you can bank on this thing being true. Now, all the things he writes are true, but he says, here's the highlights. Here's the, here's the bullet points. If you're taking notes, write this down and put it in your Bible so you can remember it later. He says, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with Christ, we shall also live with him. Jesus died on the cross, right? He was buried. And then on the third day, he actually rose from the dead according to the power of God. And so just like Jesus died, was buried, and was raised to life, in our lives as believers, there is death, there is burial, and there is resurrection. Now, for us at salvation, death, burial, and resurrection are a reality that we will not fulfill completely until we see Jesus face to face because we're all alive still, right? Okay, I died to my old self and I've become new in Christ. That's a positional truth that maybe some days you don't feel like is true. But according to the gospel, we have died to ourselves. We have been raised with Christ to new. That's what baptism is a picture of. But then when we physically die, we will be raised back to life forever. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he wasn't just a spirit that nobody could touch. I mean, no doubt he had a glorified body. He could walk through walls. He showed up in the upper room. They had the doors locked. That didn't stop Jesus from coming in. But then after that, he looked at them and he said, touch my hands, touch my side if you want to. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? He said, you, you want to see the scars? Here I am. This is me and I still bear the scars. He will bear those scars of our punishment put upon him by the way for eternity that doesn't go away his glorified body is glorified with holes in it but he then says hey let's sit down and have a meal together and he eats and guess what it's not like the cartoons the food doesn't go out for whatever reason he doesn't need food but he can eat it he's he's there you can touch him and feel him and so uh, he was raised to life in the resurrection so it says therefore if we died with him we shall also live with him in Christ. If we endure, there's that key word, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, look at this, this is good news. 
he, will not, he also will deny us. Wait, that's not great news, right? Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before uh, men, then I also will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. So we have this responsibility uh, to not be ashamed. What does it mean to be ashamed? Well, in the garden, I talked about a couple weeks ago, where uh, what happened in the garden is the first thing, after they disobeyed God, they rebelled against the command to not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate the fruit, and then they were ashamed. And so what did they do? They hid. They hid in the garden, and then while they were hiding, they took leaves and they sewed them together to cover up their shame. They realized for the first time, I'm naked. Before that, it said they were happy. They, they were naked, but it says they were unashamed. And so in this case, it says they were shamed. And, and what he says there is, don't be ashamed of me. Um, if you're not ashamed, you'll, you'll live out in the open. You'll walk in the light. You'll be real with people. And so he says, if we are, he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. And then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. I love that my faithlessness does not make God faithless. I love that when I fail, God is not failing. I love that he cannot deny him. He doesn't change because of my weakness. If anything, I am strengthened by his strength. But my weakness doesn't make him any less God. And he is able to change us. He cannot deny his own character. He's always himself. So he says all of these things and he says, remind them of these things. These are truths you can bank on. Jesus said them. And then he says, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. So these are sinful, but uh, <laughs> these are truths that we need to be reminded of. If we died with Christ, if we have by faith received his death and then been raised with Christ to a new life, we are new creations in Christ, guess what? It's true, whether or not you feel like it. We have to believe it. He didn't say, feel that it's true. He said, believe that it's true. And I've told you before, there's a pastor that I listen to in Maine, and he actually, he's kind of a, he's like a real burly guy. And he's got this like MMA, like don't mess with me voice. And actually most weeks he has to like chug stuff because his voice is so low and growly that it goes bad because he speaks all the time. And he says to his congregation that he, he does not let his leaders say the word feel when they're talking about their faith. Well, I feel that. He said, because here's the deal, feelings can lie to you. So he calls that uh, the four-letter F-bomb in church is, is the word feel. You know, let's not feel. We walk by faith, not by sight, not feel. And uh, so anyway, he says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. So on the next slide I have for you there, essentially what we're going to talk about is the workman. He says there in verse 14 to remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. He says, be diligent to present yourself. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. So he says, I want you to be diligent. I want you to be a hard worker at presenting yourself to who? To the congregation to make them happy? No, he says, be diligent, be hardworking at presenting yourself to God. He says, present yourself to God a worker who does not need to be, there's that word again, ashamed. You don't need to hide from God. If you feel like you need to be hiding from God, you're not presenting yourself to him. 
And so what are you ashamed of? What's going on? Let God remove those things. Be honest with him. That's what repentance is. When we're ashamed, it's because we're unwilling to admit that I got, I got, I got a hiccup in my game. I got sin in my life. I got stuff that needs dealt with. And so God, Paul writes to him, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. He's not saying prove yourself to God, that you're perfect. What he's saying is continually go to God, cleanse yourself by saying, Lord, I am a failure. Here's how I failed. And let him forgive you, ask for forgiveness, and be washed once again. He says, present yourself to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. The only way that we don't need to be ashamed is if we are continually going back to God and asking him, Lord, in this area I have failed again. Will you please apply the blood of Christ to my life so I can be washed and I can be cleansed and purified once again? Because whether or not you realize it, we walk in a sinful world. And, and by the way, we make mistakes. We are not Jesus. He is Jesus so that we can continually go to him and say, Lord, cleanse me again. I need renewal. And so he says this, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he says, rightly divide the word of truth. And that word divide means to, to put in a straight row. And you think about it like a plowman who's pulling a plow behind his tractor. He wants to put straight rows so when he goes to harvest, he doesn't go, have to go like this the whole time. We're watching the, the corn crops grow and they got to drive a combine through there. And if if, the, if the, the corn is you know, growing in rows like this and you drive this way, it won't combine as well. Whatever combines do, they grab it and they, they separate it all out, right? But if, if you, it's like trying to cut somebody's hair that has 10 cowlicks in it. You, know, you end up having little spritzers here. and you know, I've got like three tornadoes in the back. Well, I did when I had hair. You know? I hated my cowlicks. I should have been thanking the Lord for them instead of cursing them away. Um, but he says, be diligent. Work hard to present yourself approved to God. Be unashamed. He says, rightly divide the word of truth. And what I put there for you is cut the building materials straight. Have you guys ever tried to build anything? Maybe you're not a builder. Maybe you're a sewer. And you take a pattern. And you, you lay it over the material and you trace it and then you cut it out. Well, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, is better at cutting stuff out than I am. She's very diligent to work hard at staying on the line. Well, what the interesting thing is, is if you go to Lowe's or if you go to Menards or any building supply place, we're all building our homes now out of lumber that's fast growth, right? It used to be back in the day, back in my day, wood was way better because it was old. Yeah, but you cut it all down. We don't have any left. So we had to grow fast growth stuff. And, and you take this material and you lay it, maybe you're building a deck. And, it, you know, they, they used to say, well, you lay the, if the wood's cupping like this and you can see the grain, then you lay it down. Or you lay it the other way. And, and there's all these different theories. But no matter what you do, if you, as soon as you take the bundle off of that lumber and you let it lay there, what's it do? It starts trying to go back to its original shape. So as workmen, we need to do as best as we can to cut the line straight on the material so that when we attach it, we build this building that is the body of Christ, that it, it's straight, that it's, it lines up with the cornerstone. You know, we don't do a whole lot of masonry anymore. At least you don't see as much of it. Anymore. It's expensive. But when they lay a building and they put the cornerstone at the corner, that's because it's, everything is built from that place. They, they draw the line. They take the plumb line and it's level 
and then they also make sure that it's straight to the world, and then they build everything. They lay the bricks along with that cornerstone, because if everything's lined up with the cornerstone, the building will be square. Now, how many of you have square homes? I don't, right? As square as we can get it, but it's not built on Jesus. Like, the reality is this building, the church, not this building, but us being built together, we are those bricks. And if we will align ourselves with the cornerstone, guess what? The foundation that we build on and the building itself will proclaim only Jesus could have done that. Only Jesus could have built that building. So he says, rightly divide the word of truth. Present the word of God as what it says. Don't strive over words. Just teach what it says. And that's why we study scripture. I don't get up here and share my opinion. I try to, as best as I can, dig into the word and see, see what the word of God is saying and then present it, whether or not it causes me to convi be convicted or not. And there are words like endurance that I, I get convicted about because I don't endure like a soldier. I don't endure like a farmer. I endure like a 12-year-old kid that's decided he's going to play basketball. Two weeks in, I'm tired of going to practice. Two weeks in, I'm tired of doing the, the running down the floor and dry heaving. I'm like, okay, this is too hard, Lord. And he goes, no, no, keep going. And so we are called to endure, but we're also called to present the word of God. And me as a pastor... I am accountable to what I say to you. And so if I get up here and I don't teach the word of God, but I teach traditions, even traditions that are good, if I, treach, if I, I, I preach my opinions, uh, those things can be wrong, by the way. But the word of God, if we will develop and learn about it and learn of him, what happens is the church is built up properly. He says in verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Their message will spread like cancer. One version said gangrene. One of the team names last week was, they were the green team, and they wanted to sound really rough, and so they called themselves gang green. But what they didn't know is they were calling themselves cancer. I guess if you're cancer and you're trying to defeat the other teams, that's good. Right? Cancer seems to win a lot. You know, um, and you know, maybe that's a poor example, but but anyway, they were called gangrene, and so they're like rough. They're a gang, but they're also green, but they're also like something nobody wants to get, right? And uh, so the idea there is that when there's profane or twisted ideas about Scripture, because people take a passage here or there and make it say whatever they want, he says, shun that, stop it, put it to an end. Don't let people continue to proclaim it. He says, because when they are allowed to speak, they're allowed to, to spread these things, it actually leads to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. The things that they teach that are not in the Word of God, they are like cancer. And if you ever noticed that it's way easier for people to believe lies than it is for them to believe truth sometimes. The lies spread like wildfire, and for whatever reason, the truth, you've got to keep sowing it. You've got to keep watering it. You gotta, it's just hard work. It's like trying to grow a garden. You, the weeds grow without even trying. Nobody has to try to grow weeds. But to try to grow something that will produce fruit is 10 times more work. You have to water it. You have to weed the garden. You have to make sure the right soil's there. You have to go weed the garden again. And you have to, it's a continual process. But if, all you got to do is ignore it, and the weeds will overtake everything, and there won't be any fruit. And so in order for Timothy to be a godly pastor, 
he, he can't just sow the truth, he also has to weed the false. And many times in our lives, we're continually pouring in the word of God, but we're not willing to pull out the weeds. And that's true in our lives, and that's true in the ones we have influence over. The hardest thing for me as a dad down the road is going to be to where I have to tell my daughter, no, we're going to pull that out of your life. That's not good for you. No, that, that thing that you really are excited about, I, I can't let you do it because I, I, I don't approve, and God doesn't approve of it. And she's at that point going to say, well, all my friends are doing it. I don't care. I'm not your friend. I'm your dad, and I love you more than they do. They don't love you. They're leading you down a path of destruction. And so in the same way, Timothy has to be like a father to the church. He says, shun profane and idle babblings, and they will increase the more ungodliness. He gives an example, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. These are individuals that Paul knew. He says, they have strayed concerning the truth. They are saying or proclaiming that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some by their false teaching. So we are uh, <laughs> we're responsible for what we say. We're responsible for what we don't say. And in some cases, it, it is right to call somebody out and say, you can't teach this anymore. Be gone. You know, don't, don't be saying these things. They're not true. And so a, as a young man, you could imagine... Timothy is like, uh, some of these people are older than me. What if I have to approach them and they stop going to church? You know, unfortunately, in our small church even, I've had to approach people before when there was things going on, and I had to call them what they were, and we lost families over it. Um, but the word of God must be proclaimed properly so that people aren't just walking around with a said faith that's not a true faith, if that makes sense. Um, if your doctor loves you, he will tell you when you have cancer or if you have cancer. And guess what it's going to take in order to get rid of it? It's going to take cutting. It's going to take uh, hard chemotherapy. It's going to take radiation. It's going to take all these painful things, but all these painful things are to root out the thing that will kill you. Sin will kill you, by the way. Sin's not something you can just play around with and, and have it like, you know, like it's like living with a poisonous snake. It's not if it's going to bite you, it's when. And are you really going to sleep with that snake in your house? Some people will, and then it kills them. And then they're like, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, you got a pet viper in your house. Pet vipers kill things. It's what they do. It's what sin does. So in Proverbs chapter 4, I was reading this week, if I can find it. I've been trying to be subtle and, and just get it on my own, and, you know, but I'm not that good. So now I'm going to talk through it while I'm doing it. Proverbs chapter 4. Almost there. Come on. Two steps forward and one step back. All right. Verse 23 says this. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn, excuse me, do not turn to the right or to the left, but instead remove your feet, your foot from evil. So he says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. If there's someone among you that's teaching lies, put them away. So verse 19. 
he says this. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. That's kind of hard to read. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So I was thinking about this this morning. But before we go to verse 20, I want to read again what it says there in verse 19. The solid foundation of God stands. The Lord knows those who are his. So I love this. Have you ever heard the modern day uh, uh, good old boy say this? God knows my heart. You ever heard that? It sounds really good, but here's the scary part. God does know our hearts. He actually says, who can know a man's heart? Uh, inside man's heart is, is all kinds of iniquity. It's actually wrapped up in self-deceit. And so the heart of man is known by God. God knows those who are his. So he does know our hearts. You know, you ever seen the tattoo? And there's many of these people that have these. Some go to our church, but it says, only God can judge me. You ever seen that tattoo? You will never see that tattoo on somebody that is walking with the Lord uh, when they get it, because if they are walking with the Lord, nobody ever says, hey, don't judge me. What they say is, hey, judge me. I'm doing good, right? But if you have somebody that is not walking with the Lord, and they're ashamed in some way, and they've felt like they were being judged before, they are the ones that say, only God can judge me. They're saying, don't you judge me. I'm going to let God judge me. But they don't realize that actually God judges without partiality. He has one standard. If anything, I'd want human beings judging me in many cases, especially my friends, because they're going to give me a pass on everything. They're actually going to encourage me in things I need to stop. But he says, God knows those who are his, so this should be a comfort to you. But then he, so, so God picks us. He knows whosoever will may come. But at the same time, he says, our responsibilities, he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord Christ depart from iniquity. What is iniquity? It's sin. It's transgression. It's uh, rebellion against God. Depart from the profane. Depart from immorality is the idea. So if you do name the name of the Lord Christ, depart from iniquity. That is our responsibility. And so um, he continues and he says, here's the deal. In a great house, there are, not, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are also wood and clay. So he gives this example of vessels. Um, and he, when he talks about vessels, I, I can't relate to the gold and silver. Maybe some of you have some heirloom silverware, like actual silverware, not the, you know, the Farberware or whatever it is that's on the back of mine at home. I was just at my mom and dad's the other day, and we had all, we had all different spoons in the drawer. And my brother and I were there with our families, and I picked up the one spoon we used to fight over. Why did we fight over it? Because it was different than all the other ones. It wasn't even ergonomically pleasing. But because it was different, I want that spoon. That's my spoon. It wasn't even silver. It wasn't nice. It was just different. So, um, but I didn't have gold and silver. I didn't have wood and clay either. But maybe something better that we can relate to. How many of you guys have Tupperware? Yeah, I got Tupperware. Uh, it's not the stuff that they used to sell in the 70s that apparently when you heat it up in the microwave gives you cancer. You know, although some of that's still around. 
it would taste funny. But now you got this, like, they sell the Tupperware, and they sell it in these big old kits. When I got my first house, mom bought me a big old box of Tupperware, like I was going to cook. But I w- we put leftovers in Tupperware, right? So there is some Tupperware um, that maybe you use to send stuff home with people. It's the one that's been in the box. You've never gotten it out, but you want to send something home with them. So you don't hand them the stuff you use every day. You hand them like a brand new one. You don't send what I get when I go to lunch. Now, this is not a reflection on my wife. I, I just don't care what it looks like. My wife knows that. So she sends the stuff that I ruin by microwaving things. You know when you heat up the lasagna too hot in your Tupperware and it leaves like that red coloring on the clear Tupperware? That's, that's what I compare to the wood and clay. You got these vessels that are for dishonor. Now, I wouldn't say my wife's trying to dishonor me, but I would just say, like, it's the stuff that, you know, you eat on paper plates, but when you have special people over, you get out the real plates, the real silverware. You know, I always tell people, I always know that, they, that I'm in their family in some way or another if they'll get out the paper plates. I feel most comfortable with paper plates. I don't want anybody doing my dishes. Like, hey, let's just throw them away. You don't have to impress me, you know. Um, but we have vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Now, in houses... Um, there are things that are made out of gold and silver that they would serve their food out of. But there are also wood and clay vessels that they would use for, let's just say, chamber pots. You ever remember chamber pots where they would keep it in the house? And you go, what's that for? Eh, let's not talk about it. Because in their chamber, they're going to use the pot. We'll just leave it at that. So there are vessels in a house, and some of them are used for more prominent things. And so what he's trying to get across here as we are vessels for the Holy Spirit. We are vessels of gold and silver if we will allow God to refine us in our faith. And the beauty of this is that um, vessels of honor, even the vessels of honor, will not be used for the more prominent things if we heat up our lasagna in it and we burn stuff and we, they get all tarnished and they're not kept clean. And so what he's telling young Timothy here is to... Um, to make sure that you're a vessel that God can use that doesn't get in the way. You know, you don't want your vessel to get in the way of the beauty of the meal that someone's about to partake. And in the same way, God's trying to, to sow seed and feed and water people through us. And if, and if our own lives are tarnished and full of old lasagna crumbs and, and stuff like that, the, the crazy part is no one will see Jesus. And so he says to them, uh, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wooden clay some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. Even if you are a wooden vessel, if you let God cleanse you, the beauty is he's going to use you for a redeemed purpose, sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. Did you know that God wants to prepare you for the good works he has for you? He, he, he does definitely save us where we're at but he also cleans the fish that he catches. Every fish that God catches, he cleanses, and he makes us new, and he makes us uh, honorable. I don't know about you guys, but if I think about my past for too long, I don't know how God can use me at all, because I actually know me. Many of you don't know me. Matter of fact, um, what was funny is at camp, I shared a story with another leader from Parkland Chapel, and she goes, wow, that's exactly what I need to share with these kids because they have questions. And I said, go for it. I don't care. I'm an open book. Now, I don't always share everything, but it's not because I'm ashamed of it. It's just that it never comes up. I don't consider the fact that you guys didn't know me before Jesus. 
but a couple of these kids at Parkland Chapel just knew me when I came to church. And so she started telling a story about my drinking days, and, and they go, wait, 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 Pastor Mike used to drink? you got to be kidding me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I'm not proud of that, you know, but I used to go hog wild on it, you know, and it took a lot of Jesus to overcome something that actually took control of my life for a long time. And so um, he's cleansed me and made me useful for honorable purposes. So I don't get in the way anymore. Now, other things get in the way. As a person who talks a lot, uh, when, what's the proverb say? It says, uh, when many words are spoken, folly is not lacking. You know, when you, the more you talk, the more likely you're going to say something dishonorable. And so, uh, anyway, let's go forward. The last section, he says, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So in the next slide... After he says this, talking about vessels, he says, flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. If there's one thing I could uh, take from this passage and say that is always universally something we need to be aware of, we need to flee all youthful lusts. You don't have to be a youth to have youthful lusts. Flee desires that war against the Spirit. Um, flee things that will cause you to walk boldly into sin. You know, um, he says this to Timothy as a young man who is single and who is a pastor. And no doubt there are young women in his church. And what he says there in 1 Timothy is he says, treat younger women as sisters. Sisters. Treat them in purity is what he tells them. He says, so don't just get away from lustful situations. He says, flee. And I think of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis where he is actually working in someone's house He's been entrusted with the care, and the man's wife keeps approaching him and says, lay with me. And Joseph, being a godly man, says, I cannot do this against my God. He has a fear of the Lord that tells him to hate sin. And so when this woman finally tears from him his clothes and tries to take advantage of him, he doesn't do what most men would do. He runs for the hills, not even reaching for his garment. He just goes. I'm out of here. He flees. And I tell you what, if there's one thing that we can learn, sometimes flight is more courageous than sticking around trying to fight. We want to fight things, and what God says many times is, you can't fight it. Get out of Dodge. Get out of town. Don't stick around. You're not going to beat this gunman. He's going to keep pursuing you. So I would encourage you, if you are struggling in any area of your life of sin, don't be in the situation. My dad has always said, life is situational. If you think that the situation is going to lead in a certain place, don't be there. Get out of there. And so um, he, he flees. And, and I love this about Joseph because he actually gets in trouble for fleeing. He actually gets put in jail for fleeing because if he'd have stuck around and tried to get his garment, uh, but she cries out and says, rape, rape, 
He's taking advantage of your wife. What are you going to do, Potiphar? He was, I'm going to throw him in jail. Even though Potiphar liked him, he thought he was capable of this. And so, um, anyway, he says, uh, flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. It's not about what we're running away from. It's what we're running to. Flee youthful lust and pursue right living. Pursue righteousness with God. Pursue faith in God. Pursue love. Pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so he says, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with other believers. Flee youthful lusts and pursue fellowship with other believers. He says, but avoid foolish. So, so okay, lots of people think, okay, I'm fleeing youthful lusts. I'm pursuing righteousness. I'm in church. I'm with other believers. I'm out of the woods. No more temptation. He says, okay, here's going to be the new temptation. You're to the next level. Now you need to make sure that you avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. And if there's one thing that breaks up churches more than anything, it is foolish and ignorant, ignorant arguments. But they're about godly things, right? They're about scripture. Many times they're not about what the Lord teaches. They're about our, our understanding of what the Lord teaches. He says, knowing that these arguments generate strife and a servant of the Lord must not, be, must not quarrel or fight, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. And I tell you what, if you want to be a part of the body of Christ and get involved in people's lives more than for five seconds or more than Sunday mornings, it takes all these things. It takes gentleness. It takes the ability to teach in season. It takes the ability to be patient with one another. It, it takes humility. Because there are sometimes there are people that are in opposition to God's word and they need to be humbly approached. And actually in 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 13 through 17, Peter writes on this thing, same thing. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse uh, 13. Right? Is that what I put? 13. He says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats and be troubled. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Why you believe what you believe. But he says this. Many people that are good on apologetics and they want to argue with people that don't believe in Jesus. They have all the right doctrine. And they, but they don't approach on, uh, non-believers or even believers with any humility. So no one, it's not what they're saying. It's how they say it. And so he says there, approach them with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. All that depends upon you. Approach people in meekness and in humility. Because if you approach people in humility, they might be able to say that you said something offensive to them, but they will not be able to say that you said it in a mean way, if that makes sense. Now, some truths that we tell people, doesn't matter how you say it, they're going to be offended. That's the reality we live in. And in today's day and age, you can't say anything without offending anybody. But that doesn't mean we're not responsible to try and approach them in a way that they will receive what we have to say. So, as we close, he says there in uh, verse 25, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps, look at this, 
will grant them repentance. So when you approach people with the truth and they're opposing the truth, you're approaching them hoping not that they'll be offended, but that they will actually be sorrowful over their sin so that they may know the truth and be able to repent. And that's the gospel message, to repent of sin uh, and to believe and have faith in Christ so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. Because before we repent of our sin, whether we realize it or not, we have been taken captive by the devil to do his will instead of God's. That's what sin will always do. Uh, it will trap you and cause you to live in fear, and it will cause you to uh, actually end up serving the devil instead of Christ. And so uh, be ready to correct gently um, and realize that when you're correcting someone, uh, you need to do it in a way realizing that their eternity may rest upon how you handle their questions or their opposition to what you believe. Can we make anybody believe anything? Uh, my experience is absolutely no. I can't make anybody do anything. But I can do all that I can to present things in a way that it's at least a little bit more palatable. If I go out there and start beating people down with my Bible, um, they are not experiencing the love of Christ that I have first experienced. Uh, uh, we were at camp this week, and on the last, last message, he said, uh, in order to share our faith, we need to first display and then we need to second declare. Many times we declare truths, but we don't ever display them. And so what he said was, if you want to display the love of Christ, it's this simple. Fifty-nine times in the New Testament it says, as Christ has done unto you. And so uh, anything that Christ has done unto you, go and do that unto others. And the beauty is, is if you will do that, if you will truly do what Christ has already done and is continuing to do for you right now, the beauty is, it's love like the world does not have. It's love like the world doesn't understand or has never seen. And if you will love people like Christ has loved you, you don't have to love him in a way that he, you haven't experienced yet. Love others as Christ has shown you his love in whatever way you've experienced recently. And if you will go and do that for somebody, they're going to see it, they're going to be blown away by it, and they're going to say, why did you do that? And at that point, since you've already displayed it, and it's backwards from the world, then you have the opportunity to declare it. Christ, why are you doing this for me? Because Christ did it for me first. It's that simple. And so, um, unto others. And uh, I had an example for you, but we won't get there today. In John chapter 4, go and read it on your own. You'll see Jesus approaching a woman who was sitting at a well, who was an adulterer, who was uh, an outcast, who was a woman living in sin currently. And what he did was he approached her, he listened to what she said, he corrected her, and he did it in a, such a way that she believed that he was the Son of God. She went to town, told everybody she knew, hey, this man at this well, he just told me about my whole life, and, and I want you to come and meet him. And her direct response to being exposed to the truth and loved by Jesus in the way that she was is she wanted other people to experience the same thing. And so, um, you know, we are called to correct, but we're also called to do it in love. And if we can do both together, Christ will be exemplified in our lives. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage and um, you know, some of these doctrinal teachings and some of these 
encouragements from Paul. We, we can easily forget that he's writing these things to Timothy as his last words. He's telling Timothy everything he's going to need to know, everything he's going to run into. He's trying to warn him. He's trying to make sure that he's fully equipped for every good work that he's going to see and be a part of. And so, Father, for us, maybe not all of this applies to each one of us, but I do know for a fact that we want to be vessels of honor and not dishonor. And so, Lord, you know who are yours. And at the same time, we are called to respond to being yours and to depart from iniquity. As Christians, it is our responsibility, but it's also our blessing to depart from things that will enslave us and to pursue righteousness and faith and peace. And uh, peace is many times had by actually opening up our mouths and having conversations that get rid of the things that are enmity or war between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, help us to have a heart for reconciliation. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for first loving us so that we can show love. Not love that's hypocritical, that denies the truth. and Not love that's brutal, that only tells truth. But love of Christ that tells us the truth, calls us to repentance, dies on our behalf, and then loves us and is patient with us and continues to grow us, continues to water and plant seed. And you are faithful indeed to finish the work that you began, and I'm so grateful. I pray that each one here knows that they are loved by you and uh, continually just lets you renew them day by day in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen.